0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached.
1: So, um, beginning of the year is uh, typically a time when uh, many people sort of at the end of an old year and at the beginning of a new year stop and take stock of their lives and um, uh, inflict New Year's resolutions upon themselves. <laughs> and um, I, th- I think in, in some sense it's a, it's a good tradition and a, and a, and a good habit because I think it's, it's good from time to time to reevaluate our lives, just to look at our lives and to think um, how we need to grow, how we need to change. Uh, and especially for us as Christians. Because a Christian um, is a disciple, right? In Acts 11, I think it's verse 26, uh, at the end of the verse it says, and the, Christ, uh, the, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That was where Paul and Barnabas and them ministered, the church in Antioch. And, and, and from that scripture we see that the word Christian is just a nickname for a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, there's this, this misconception about discipleship that, you know, you can be a Christian without being a disciple, but then when you get, like, really serious, like a hardcore Christian, then you become a disciple. But, but that's not true. If you're not a disciple, you're not a Christian. Because the word Christian is just literally a nickname for a disciple. And the word disciple literally means grow, to um, a learner or a student. And and that's why we want to learn and grow in every area of our lives. And part of what we want to do as church, part of what God has called us to do as church, is to encourage one another to, as disciples, submit more and more of our lives, more and more areas of our lives, to God and to Jesus' rule, His King. Uh, His kingship and His lordship and His rule, and and uh, um, in that sense, New Year's resolutions or something like it, re-evaluating our lives to see where we need to grow and what areas of our lives we need to submit or maybe resubmit to Jesus uh, or submit more deeply to Jesus. So, um, as part of that, I'm, I'm going to continue with the word now in a moment. But as part of that, and just as a token of submitting our lives to the Lord, I'm going to ask the ushers just to send around the offering bag and. And just say, Lord, even as we give to you, we we want to submit that area of our lives. And and our work, our uh, ability to to work, to be productive and to earn money, we want to submit that to to you as well. Um, And we give this tithe or offering just as a token of our submission, of our time and our energy and our resources to you. But do you know that, well, according to the internet, about 80%, according to Google, and I saw this on a few different sites, so they all agree on this, but roughly, roughly 80% of people of New Year's resolutions fail, and usually by around mid-February. <laughs> but roughly 80% of New Year's resolutions fail. Hmm? That long? Okay, you know, you mean you 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 much quicker. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so I want to ask you why, Ooh. why why do you think so many eighty percent, maybe more of New Year's resolutions fail? Just turn to each other and quickly discuss why. Do you, what are some of the reasons that you think New Year's resolutions fail so 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 much? Okay, let's hear it. What, what, what are some of the reasons that you think New Year's resolutions fail or have such a high failure rate? Lack of accountability, I think that's an important one. So often people make New Year's resolutions, but they try and fulfill them themselves without any support, without any accountability, without anyone to help them. In other words, our, in our radical Western individualism comes back to bite us. Because that's what we tend to do. We tend to live for ourselves and by ourselves instead of together in community, uh, where we can hold one another accountable. Good one. <laughs> yeah, you, we we tend to overcommit and underdeliver. <laughs> yeah, unrealistic um, sort of resolutions um, instead of. I mean, certain change does happen radically in people's lives, but that's usually only when the Lord intervenes. But when we change in the normal way, it's usually step by step, little by little. It's, 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 um, yeah, we, we can't always handle change that is too radical and too big at one time. Yes, anyone else? Oh, yes. <laughs> the reality is sometimes we don't want to change. We, or we conflicted. We're conflicted. In some senses we do want to change, but in other senses we don't. Like, um, I think the majority of news resolutions have something to do with health and diet. (laughs) I think so. That's sort of just, you know, from my experience as a human being, what I pick up. And, And the reality is, when we make those resolutions, we want the benefit or the prize of a healthy body. But we don't want to pay the price of living and eating healthy. We still want to eat all those oily, fatty, unhealthy foods. Right? Because it's lacquer. <laughs> so on the one hand, we want to change, but on the other hand, actually, we don't want to change. We're sort of conflicted. We want different things. Yeah, often our news resolutions tend to be what we want for ourselves and not necessarily what God wants for us, or what God wants for us most. And God wants to change us, make no mistake. I mean, just just think about this for a moment, okay? The Bible teaches that when Jesus returns, we're going to be like him, right? Right? When Jesus returns, we're going to be like him. Well, if we're going to be like Jesus when he returns, then one of us is going to have to change. Either we're going to have to change, or Jesus is going to have to change. (laughs) Okay, But but we know Jesus is not going to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to have to change. We're going to have to grow. And God wants us to grow. God wants us to become more like Jesus. But sometimes we want to focus on a little fringe issue, which we think is important, but God wants to focus on a much bigger issue. Often we want to focus on some other external issue, and God wants to focus on some other internal issue that he wants to change. Yeah. Now that's good. The, the world is into behavior change, external cosmetic behavior change. God is into change of heart and change of identity. God doesn't want to just change what we do. He wants to change who we are. Much, You know, it's deeper change, much deeper change. Okay, so you guys mentioned quite a lot of stuff here. Um, I'll, I'll put up a few that I put there. Uh, We don't really want to change. We mentioned mentioned that. We're not really devoted. We want the the prize without having to pay the price. Uh, We try and do it alone. I mean, all the stuff that I thought of and more that you guys mentioned. But one of the things that I want to mention is so often we try and change um, our behavior, but we don't do it through the power of habits. We don't, we, we try and change a few things that we do from time to time, but we don't change it in such a way that it becomes a new habit, a new way of life. And I, I think there's, there's an amazing power in, in habits, and um, I want to actually, in the next couple of weeks, do a few, do a series on a few habits um, that... I I truly believe if we incorporate them into our lives, it'll lead to fundamental and significant life change that will not just be sporadic, not just be flash in the pan, not just be there and gone, but that'll be lasting and sustainable. So just a few things about habits. Um, What are habits? Those of you who studied science... You probably know of, of newton's laws right and one of newton's laws is, is that you take an object and it, if an object is moving in a certain direction it will keep on moving in that direction unless some other power or force in a different direction works upon it okay that's called the the the, the law of inertia inertia i mean if, if you think of a like a a You know, if there was, if there were a heavy wheelbarrow, you know, full of cement or something, standing here, and you pick it up and you start pushing it, it's hard to push. It's difficult because it has inertia, that weight of inertia. But then, once you start pushing it, if you if you can sort of get up to a run and start pushing it, it's actually hard to stop, and you have to like really break it, you know, uh, and pull hard to make it stop. That that's the power of inertia. And habits are like a form of psychological. Human inertia. Habits are the reality that once we're moving in a certain direction, we tend to keep moving in that direction unless a force acts in upon us. Um, There's a saying first we form our habits, then our habits form us. First we form our habits, then our habits form us. And think about this for a moment. A lot more, according to the research, of what we do on a day-to-day basis is habit than, than we typically realize. What percentage do you think of what you do on a daily basis do you do consciously and what percentage do you think you just do sort of unconsciously by force of habit? The stats that I've seen differ, but conservatively people say at least forty-five to fifty percent, and some people say up to eighty percent of what you do on a daily basis is habit. So, if you want to change your life, you need to change your habits. If I want to change my lives, I need my life. I need to change my habits. The Bible has a lot to say about it. I'm not going to uh, over the next couple of weeks. I'll be saying a bit more about habits as well. But the Bible often talks about ways. If you think about um, the Book of Proverbs, you know. Submitting your ways to the Lord. There's, there are psalms that say, Lord, teach me your ways. Show me your ways and teach me your ways. And that's another way. That's a biblical way of talking about habits. Um, there's another saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. In other words, habits are a key to actually changing our characters and changing our lives, growing and becoming more like Christ if we care to use them. Um, Like like gravity, uh, the power of habit can work for you or against you. Habits are, in some ways, if you want to consciously do it, sometimes, I mean, a lot of the habits that we already have, because we already have a lot of habits, right? Right? Um, so, you know, when, when, when we sort of just learn them accidentally, they, they're easy to make. When you want to do it intentionally, when you want to do it consciously, it's, they're hard to make, but they're just as hard to break. And that's a disadvantage and an advantage, because if it's a bad habit, then it's difficult to break it. And that's what we call addictions. Addictions are destructive bad habits. Okay? Um, but if it's a If it's a good habit, you you, you want to develop a good habit, and then you don't actually want it to be broken easily. So habits can work for you. Once a good habit has been established, it can actually work for you. It's difficult to break bad habits, but it's just as difficult to break good habits once they've been firmly established. So, you know, it's like... um, It's like the gravity, the pull of gravity. It's, It's very powerful, and it's difficult to break free of the pull of gravity. It takes a lot of force. But but that pull of gravity is also what keeps us grounded, what keeps us on earth, what keeps us safe, what keeps us from floating off into space. Um, And and in that sense, habits are are very good and very powerful. I just want to show you two scriptures um, to show you that that both Jesus and Paul had certain habits. Uh, It says in Luke 4, verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, you can insert there, as was his habit. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Jesus had a habit of going to the synagogue every Sabbath, every Saturday. And worshipping with the gathered community. He had a habit of receiving the word of God. Of studying the scriptures in community. Uh, Same with Paul. It says in in Acts 17, verse 1 to 3. Now they came to Thessalonica, uh, there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So we see that the two most influential people in Christian history, Jesus himself and Paul the Apostle, had certain customs or habits in their lives as part of the rhythm of life that they did. And if they needed that, and if that certain habits in their lives resulted in the kinds of powerful lives that they lived, world-changing, history-making lives, then we also certainly need certain habits in our lives. Amen? So, um, I'm going to be just sharing, using Acts 2, verse 42 as an outline. And it says, And they devoted themselves... To the Apostles teaching to fellowship, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And this is just after the day of Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after the birth of the church, as it were. and it gives us this scripture. They, they devoted themselves to four things: the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread and pray, and prayers. And I just want to, from those four things take out four habits over the next couple of weeks. I'm just going to uh, today just focus on the first one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, when we say they devoted themselves, um, what does it mean? We live in a society, in a postmodern society, that's very, very afraid of commitment. Very afraid to make commitment, any kind of commitment. Uh, whether it's relational commitment, whether whatever kind of commitment it is. We, we tend to shy away from commitment. Uh, we, we live in a society where we can move around a lot. Um, people don't commit to the same company for life. Most people struggle to commit to the same person for life. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's just a, a reality of the, of the culture that we live in. There's so much change that we've embraced that change and, 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 and we want to be able to change the whole time um, and, and have the freedom to make uh, choices. So we, we tend to not devote ourselves to anything. We tend to struggle to devote ourselves to, to anything. Now, just a few things I want to mention here. The early church, it says they devoted themselves. They, they made a very deep Strong commitment to these things. They 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 devoted themselves to to be busy with these things continually. In other words, they, they became habits in in their community. And 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 I think it's a good example for us and the kinds of habits that we need as well. So, just a few things that that we we won't devote ourselves to something that we don't desire. Unless you have a strong desire for something, you won't devote yourself to it. So, so, in that sense, I just want to read you a few verses. I don't know if you've read this book, The Heavenly Man by Brother Yun, who apparently pronounced it Un. I'm not sure how, but I just want to read you. You know, when we talk about desire for the Apostles' Doctrine or the Word of God, we, as overfed modern Western people, sometimes struggle to relate you know with with having a desire for it, because most of us have probably a few different translations of the Bible on our rack at home. most of us can download an audio Bible if we want to, most of us can listen to sermons, most of us can. I mean, you, you click on, on your app, on your phone, and, and you have, you know, multiple apps on which you can read the Bible. So, so often we become blasé about the Bible because it's so easily accessible to us. And we forget how precious it is, and we lose our desire and our hunger for it. But I just want to read you a, a little portion, a couple of pages of Brother Un. He got saved when he was 16 years old. He was in the mid-70s during the Cultural Revolution in China when Christianity was severely persecuted, and the Bible was illegal. And listen to the hunger that he had for the Word of God. So listen to what he says. He says, "Uh, These were exciting times. Not only did I receive Jesus as my personal Savior, but I also became a person who really wanted to serve the Lord with all my heart. My mother had never learned to read and write, but she became the first preacher in our village. She led a small church in our house. Although my mom couldn't remember much of God's Word, she always exhorted us to focus on Jesus. As we cried out to him, Jesus helped us in uh, in his great mercy. As I look back on these early years, I'm amazed at how God used my mother despite her illiteracy and ignorance. The direction of her heart was totally surrendered to Jesus. Some of today's great house church leaders in China first met the Lord through my mother's ministry. At first, I didn't really know who Jesus was, but I'd seen him heal my father and liberate our family. I confidently committed myself to the God who had healed my father and saved us. His father had, had cancer, I think abdominal cancer, lung, lung cancer that became abdominal cancer or something like that. And, and, and they just cried out to Jesus and he actually healed um, his father. Uh, during the time, I frequently asked my mother who Jesus truly was. And she told me, Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross for us, taking all our sins and sicknesses. He recorded all his teachings in the Bible. I asked if there were any uh, words of Jesus left that I could read for myself, and she replied, No, all his words are gone. There is nothing left of his teaching. This was during the Cultural Revolution when Bibles could not be found. From that day on, I earnestly wanted to have a copy of my own Bible. I asked my mother and and fellow Christians what the Bible looked like, but no one knew. Imagine living in a place where the Christians don't even know how a Bible looks. One person had seen some hand-copied scripture portions and song sheets, but never a whole Bible. Only a few old believers could recall seeing a Bible many, many years ago. The Word of God was scarce in the land. I was so hungry for a Bible. Seeing my desperation, my mother remembered an old man who lived in another village. This man had been a pastor Before the Cultural Revolution. Uh, Together we started out on a long walk, uh, on the long walk to his home. When we found him, we told him our desire. We longed to see a Bible. Do you have one? He immediately looked fearful. This man had already spent nearly 20 years in prison for his faith. He looked at me and saw that uh, that I was so young and poor with tattered clothes and bare feet. He felt compassion, but he still didn't want to show me his Bible. I don't blame him because in those days, there were very few Bibles in the whole of China. Nobody uh, was allowed to read any book other than Mao's little red book. If caught with a Bible, it would be burned and uh, and the owner's whole family would be severely beaten in the middle of the village. The old pastor simply told me, the Bible is a heavenly book. If you want one, you'll need to pray to the God of heaven. Only he can provide you a heavenly book. God is faithful. He always answers those who seek him with all their heart. I fully trusted the pastor's word. words. When I returned home, I, um, I brought a stone into my room and knelt down on it every evening to pray. I had just one simple prayer. Lord, please give me a Bible. Amen. At that time, I didn't know how to pray But I continued uh, for more than one month. Nothing happened. uh, The Bible didn't appear. I went back to the pastor's house again. This time I went alone. I told him, I've prayed to God according to your instructions, but I still haven't received the Bible. I want it so much. Please, please show me your Bible. Just a glance and I will be satisfied. I don't need to touch it. You can hold it and I will... I will... Uh, be content just to look at it. If I could copy down some of its words, uh, I will return home happy. The pastor saw the anxiety of my heart. He spoke to me again. If you're serious, you should not only kneel down and pray to the Lord, you should also fast and weep. The more you weep, the sooner you'll get a Bible. I went home, and every morning and afternoon I ate and drank nothing. Every evening I ate just one small bowl of steamed rice. I cried like a hungry child to my heavenly father, wanting to be filled with his word. See the hunger, the desire for God's word? For the next 100 days, I prayed for a Bible until I could bear it no more. My parents were sure I was losing my mind. Looking back years later, I would say uh, that this whole experience was one of the most difficult I've ever endured. Then suddenly one morning at 4 a.m., after months of begging God to answer my prayer, I received a vision from the Lord while kneeling beside my bed. In the vision... I was walking up a steep hill trying to push a heavy cart in front of me. I was heading towards a village where I intended to beg for food for my family. I was struggling greatly because in my vision I was hungry and weakened by constant fasting. The old cart was about to roll back and fall on me. Then I saw three men walking down the hill in the opposite direction. A kind old man who had a very long beard was pulling a large cart full of fresh bread Two other men were walking on each uh, each side of the cart. When the old man saw me, he felt great pity and showed me compassion. He asked, "Are you hungry?" I replied, "Yes. I have nothing to eat. I'm on my way to get food for my family." I wept because my family was extremely poor. Because my father's sickness, um, because of my father's sickness, we sold everything valuable for, to buy medicine. We had little to eat, and for years we'd been forced to beg for food from our friends and neighbors. When the old man "'asked me if I was hungry. "'I couldn't help but cry. "'I'd never felt such genuine love and compassion "'from anyone before. "'In the vision, the old man took a red bag of bread "'from his trolley and asked his two servants "'to give it to me. "'He said, you must eat this immediately. "'I opened the wrapping and saw there was a bun "'of fresh bread inside. "'When I put the bun in my mouth, "'it instantly turned into a Bible. "'Immediately, in my vision, I knelt down with my Bible and cried out to the Lord in thanksgiving. Lord, your name is worthy of, to be praised. I didn't, uh, I didn't, you didn't despise my prayer. You allowed me to receive this Bible. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. I woke up and started searching the house for the Bible. The rest of my family was still asleep. The vision had been so real to me. Um, and when I realized it had, been, it had only been a dream, I was deeply anguished and I wept loudly. My parents rushed to my room to see what had happened. They thought... I had gone crazy because of all my fasting and praying. I told them about my vision, but the more I shared, the crazier the thought I was. Mother said, the day hasn't dawned yet, and no one has come to our house. The door is firmly locked. My father held me tightly. With tears in his eyes, he cried uh, to God, Dear Lord, have mercy on my son. Please don't let him lose his mind. I'm willing to be sick again if that will prevent my son from losing his mind. Please give my son a Bible. My mother, father, and I knelt down and wept together, arm in arm. Suddenly I heard a faint knock at the door. A very gentle voice called my name. I rushed over and asked through the locked door, Are you bringing the bread to me? The gentle voice replied, Yes, we have a feast, a bread feast to give you. I immediately recognized the voice as... So the same one I had heard in the vision. I quickly opened the door and there standing before me were the, two, the same two servants I had seen in the vision. One man held a, ba- a red bag in his hand. My heart raced as I opened the bag and held in my hands my very own Bible. The two men quickly departed uh, into the still darkness. I clutched my new Bible to my heart and fell down on my knees outside my, the door. I, I thanked God again and again. I promised Jesus that from that moment on, I would devour his word like a hungry child. Later, I found out the names of the two men. One was Brother Wang, and the other one was Brother Sun. They came from a village far away. They told me about an evangelist whom i had never met. He had suffered terribly for the Lord during the Cultural Revolution and had nearly died while being tortured. About three months before I received my Bible, this evangelist had received a vision from the Lord. God showed him a young man to whom he, must, he was to give his hidden Bible. In, in the vision, he saw our house and the location of our village. Like many Christians at the time, the old man had placed his Bible inside a can and buried it deep in the ground, hoping to, he would one day be able to um, dig it up and read it again. Despite this vision, it took the evangelist a few months before he decided to obey what the Lord had told him to do. He asked two other Christian men to deliver it to me. They then walked throughout the, uh, the night to reach our home. From that moment on, I prayed to Jesus with faithful prayer. I fully trusted that the words of the Bible were God's words to me. I always held the Bible. Even when I slept, I laid it on my chest. I devoured its teachings like a hungry child. This was the first gift I'd ever received from God in prayer. Just a few more uh, lines. Every day from morning to late evening, I read the word of God. When I had to work in the fields, I wrapped the Bible inside my clothes and took every opportunity to sit down and read. At, ni- uh, at nighttime, I took my Bible with me to bed and laid it on my chest. In the beginning, reading the Bible was, wasn't easy because I had only received three years of education. Furthermore, my Bible was in the traditional Chinese script while I had learned to read simplified characters. I found a dictionary and painstakingly looked up every character at the, f- uh, at the first as I advanced through the Bible. Finally, I finished reading through the whole Bible, so I started to memorize one chapter per day. After 28 days, I had memorized the whole Gospel of Matthew. I quickly read through all the other Gospels before proceeding to the book of Acts and started memorizing it too. There's someone who has a deep hunger and desire for the Word that we have forgotten and that many, if not most of us, have lost. When I read that, I felt ashamed and I thought, oh my God, (laughs) I've lost that desire, that hunger for God's word. But we will not be, we will not devote ourselves to the apostles' doctrine until we are that hungry. What we must do is ask the Lord, Lord, give us that hunger, give us that hunger. And what we need to do, just like Brother Yun did, is fast of other things. Because we so often use other things to fill that hunger, to feed that hunger, to satisfy that hunger. And then we no longer feel that hunger for God's word. But not only that, we must know the benefit of God's word. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who, the, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. And it mentions all the benefits of really devoting ourselves to God's Word, meditating on it, devouring it, consuming it until it consumes us. Benefits of being blessed, of being like a tree planted by water, of of being evergreen, of prospering in all that we do. Uh, I just want to show you a a quick video clip which discusses this whole issue of of the Bible and the benefits of Bible reading. And something very interesting, they did a survey, I I can't remember how many people, 40,000 odd people in America between the ages of eight and 80, and they discovered some very interesting things about Bible reading and, and our commitment towards the Bible. Um, and, and, and as you're gonna see, the Bible doesn't really benefit us unless we really commit to it, unless we really devote ourselves to it.
0: There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they polled 40,000 uh, p- uh, general population in the U.S. from eight to 80, And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. They weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, When we're in the Scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying, you open your Bible. We hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now, at three times a week, there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. alcoholism drops 57 percent feeling spiritually stagnant you know if there was one area when i'm talking with people that that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant ask them the question how much time are you spending in the scripture if they're in the scripture four times a week or more it drops 60 percent. wow viewing pornography drops 61 percent. that's very important now on a Flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's that's amazing right there. So,
1: as you can see, there's uh, amazing benefits to not just reading Scripture now and then, but actually devoting ourselves to Scripture, devoting ourselves to it. Um, and if we know those benefits... Now, obviously, we're not just going to do it for the benefits. On the one hand, we do it because it's the right thing to do. But we also do it for the benefits. Right? We also do it for the benefits. Uh, and they really are. Even not only because the Bible says there are. Like I said, Psalm 1 and so on makes it clear that there are benefits. But you can actually empirically observe those benefits. You can measure them scientifically and see that there are great benefits in the lives of people who devote themselves to Scripture. Um, I already mentioned it. It says they devoted themselves. Not individually, but themselves, plural. In other words, we, we, we need support. You know, if, if we can only devote ourselves if we really devote ourselves to something when we do to it together. It's, it's very hard for, for people to devote themselves to something that, that is life-changing and world-changing by themselves. And that's why it's important to notice that this is a community, the church community, the early church community, who devoted themselves corporately, together, supported one another. Your devotion to Scripture and to Christ, or lack thereof, affects the devotion of those around you. Think about that for a moment. If you devote yourself to Scripture more and to Jesus more, you'll encourage those around you to devote, devote themselves to Scripture and to Jesus more. So it will not only benefit you, it will benefit those around you. And those around you will help you to fulfill those commitments, the accountability that Alex was talking about. Uh, and, and then also it re- requires regularity. It talks about daily they met from house to house in the temple. There's an old saying, you'll never change your life until you change something you do every day. You'll never truly change your life unless you change something you do every day. If you want to change your life, if you want to grow, if you want to experience genuine life change, then try and change something you do every day. And one of the things I want to recommend and that I'm recommending is develop a habit of learning. Develop a habit of constantly being in God's Word. But, But here's another important thing. It says not only uh, uh, you know, that, that they devoted themselves, but it says they devoted themselves to what? First thing they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Um, when we devote ourselves, there are many people who devote themselves to the wrong stuff. Right? We know that. We've seen lives dedicated to... I mean, on that video clip, they mentioned pornography, for instance. you, You can devote your life to pornography, but you're devoting yourself to the wrong stuff. So it's important not only that we're devoted, but that we're devoted to the right stuff. And even when it comes to learning, we need to devote ourselves to learning the right things. I mean, we live in the information age, in the internet age, where there's so much information out there available, freely available, easily accessible, that it's actually astonishing. But the problem is that there's just as much misinformation as true information. So the, the question for us is not how do we get information, but how do we get the right information. Not how do we devote ourselves to learning, but how do we devote ourselves to learning the right stuff. And the starting point is to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. And, and that obviously includes Scripture. The apostles' teaching included Scripture, but it's Notice that Luke doesn't say they devoted themselves to the reading of Scripture. Or they devoted themselves to listening to Scripture. Or devoted themselves to listening to preaching on Scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Now, firstly, it was based on Scripture, but it was Scripture read through a gospel lens. That's the teaching of the apostles. It's all of Scripture, but read through a gospel lens read through in the light of what Jesus did for us and is doing in us through his Spirit. Okay, so it's the Apostles' Doctrine. But they devoted themselves um, not only to listening to it, not only to learning it, but to living it. Notice, it doesn't say they devoted themselves to listening to the Apostles' Doctrine or to learning the Apostles. It says they devoted themselves to the Apostles' Doctrine, period, in every way of life. Learning it and living it, and now, so we live in a world that says, "Live and learn." And 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 I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But you can also learn and live. <laughs> you see, when you when, when you when you don't have the truth, then you must live and learn. You know, live and then try and sort of. You know, by trial and error, error fix, figure out what's right and what's wrong and, 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 and live, what you should live according to. But when you have the truth, when, like we have the apostles' teaching, we can learn and live. We can learn the right things and live according to it. When it says the apostles' teaching, who are the apostles? The word apostle means saint one. Sent by whom? Sent by Jesus. He's special sent delegates to minister his word, his gospel. His authoritative interpretation of Scripture to us. And, and and that's why this is where we need to start. Because then we know what we believe, what we're learning is the right thing, and then we can safely and with a clear conscience devote ourselves to it because we know it's right. We know it's Jesus' teaching that came through his sent delegates, his apostles to us. Just in, in closing, I just want you to notice. Jesus had this custom, like we, like we read earlier, of going to the synagogue. But he also clearly had a custom or a habit of learning Scripture. In his temptation, and I'm just using these as an example, his temptation and his death, we see how full of Scripture Jesus was. How devoted to Scripture Jesus had been through his, throughout his life. Because when he was tempted, after 40 days and nights of fasting, I, I, I love the Bible, the Bible God is the master of the understatement. It says, after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. (laughs) You bet he was. (laughs) And he he was obviously in a weakened state, a vulnerable state. And the devil comes to him in this weakened, vulnerable state, like he always does. He likes kicking us when we're down, when we're not feeling good, when we're weak, when we're sick, when we're broken, when we failed. When we're feeling bad about ourselves, that's, he likes kicking us when we're down. Okay, Be aware of that. Know your enemy. Okay, He did that with Jesus. He'll do that with us. But he comes to Jesus in this weakened state and he says, he tempts him three times. If you are truly the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus every time answers, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Throw yourself down from the temple. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Fall down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You'll worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. Now, when you're under temptation, you know, what what comes out is what's really inside. More so when you're under torture, like Jesus was on the cross. Know the old saying, what comes out when you squeeze a lemon? Lemon juice, because that's what's inside. The squeezing doesn't put the lemon juice inside. It just squeezes out what's inside. So pressure, and especially the severe pressure that Jesus experienced under torture, when you're being tortured to death, you don't think, um, what should I say that'll come across as pious and God-fearing and whatever's inside, under those circumstances, under torture, comes out. When you're really in deep Severe pain. Whatever is really inside comes out. And what came out when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Scripture. Scripture. I mean, even when he was at, at his worst moment, even when he was so, when he was being so severely tested. Not only the physical death that he was experiencing, the physical torture, but the, the even much worse psychological emotional torture that it was experiencing. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a quote from the Psalms. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I want you to think about this. I don't think there's anyone here, when I check us out in terms of age, who is so young that you've never been rejected or never been betrayed in relationship, right? All of us have experienced that hurt, that pain. That can be some of the most severe pain known to man, when you rejected and when you betrayed. especially, And the more you love someone, the more it hurts when they hurt you. The, the, the longer you've had a relationship, the deeper the relationship is, the more it hurts. Now, now think about this for a while, for, just for a moment. If, a, if an acquaintance rejects you or, or betrays you, it hurts. I mean, you can deal with it, but it does hurt. When a good friend rejects you or betrays you, it hurts a lot more. When a a girlfriend or fiance rejects you or betrays you, someone that you've loved deeply, it it really hurts a lot. When a spouse, especially one that you've been married to for many years, maybe decades, betrays you and rejects you, that's like ripping your heart out. That's why divorce is so painful, so devastating. When a child rejects you, I mean, you can only imagine how painful that is, or a parent. But think about this. Jesus and the Father have had the most perfect, most intimate, closest relationship for all of eternity. A relationship that is so intimate, so loving, and has been so intimate and so loving for all of eternity. Imagine what Jesus must have felt when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus was, had devoted himself to Scripture to such an extent he was committed to fulfilling Scripture for us. He was willing to quote Scripture at his expense and at our benefit, to our benefit and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to devote himself so much to Scripture, be so full of Scripture in order to fulfill God's calling on his life, he was only God in the flesh. If he needed that, how much more do we need that? I'm always astonished at the fact that the, the the one human who seemingly could get away without having to read the scriptures and without having to pray, read the scriptures and prayed more than all of us. So I, I just want to close with this. I want to give you a few tips, some practical tips. How do you devote yourself to scripture? There's a lot more I could have said, but I'm, I'm going to skip that and just um, end off with some practical tips. First tip I want to give you is go low-tech. Okay? Go low-tech. Don't do Bible study on your smartphone or your tablet. You can. Sometimes I do when I'm doing research and so on. But the problem is, there's always a WhatsApp that comes in or a Facebook notification that pops up. <laughs> There are too many distractions. But if you go low-tech, there are no distractions. Switch off your phone. Put it on flight mode. Put it aside. Turn it around so you can't see the screen. Take your Bible. Read it. Consume the Word until it consumes you. So the first tip is go low-tech. The second tip is um, use a bookmark. Ooh, that's profound. (laughs) No, but seriously, I, I wouldn't... For some of you this might work you know those lists of you know you read these chapters a day and then you can mark them off on that little piece of paper does that work for anyone that's never worked for me because i inevitably skip a day or two and then (laughs) i get behind and i get flustered and i just drop it but if you have a bookmark in your bible you just open your bible wherever the last place was that you read and you read a chapter or two or three or however many you want to commit yourself to reading and if you skip a day or so and that's another tip expect failure Expect yourself to fail. If, you, if you're going to say, I'm going to read a chapter a day, every day, expect that some days you're going to fail. You're going, you know, you're going to not read a chapter. and Don't you know, beat yourself up about it. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please help me to, con- to recommit and to continue. I'm just going to open up where my bookmark was, and I'm going to continue reading, and I'm going to enjoy it. Okay? Um, another uh, tip is, um, I mentioned it, sort of uh, set daily goals. Even though you expect failure, set yourself daily goals. Say, I'm going to read a chapter a day. I'm going to read uh, two chapters a day. Whatever you feel is manageable for you. And then just read. Just read and, just, and then meditate on it and say, God, uh, teach me your word. How does this apply to me? Um, then don't do it alone. If you can at all, get yourself some buddies in your small group. And that's why we asked, you know, do you want to join a small group? Get someone in your small group or some other friend where you guys can keep one another accountable and maybe on a weekly basis check up on one another and say, let's get together for coffee, or at the very least, let's do a phone call and say, okay, how did your Bible reading go? What did the Lord say to you? What is the Lord laying on your heart? What did you learn? And where you can honestly say to each other, well, you know, this wasn't a great week, you know, I only actually read my Bible three times this week, Um, you know, I was aiming for more, uh, but I... you know, keep me com- uh, accountable. Next week, check in on me. Don't just check in once, check in three times and check in, ask me, you know, how's it going with you? But don't do it alone. And then finally, um, cluster your habits. And, and like I said, I'm gonna, in, in this series, I'm going to talk more about habits, just the practical aspects of habits. But when you cluster habits together, they reinforce one another. So if you're a coffee addict, like me, <laughs> then get up in the morning, make yourself coffee and read your Bible. And that habit of making coffee and drinking coffee and the habit of reading your Bible will go together and they'll mutually reinforce one another. Okay, so use tricks like that. Don't be afraid of using dirty tricks. (laughs) No, I'm (laughs) sorry. But of using any trick, but anything, just to really get into the Word of God. Now, dear, I just want to leave you with this thought. If you could have a habit... A regular, even daily habit of consuming God's word until it consumed you, of constantly learning from God's word, of constantly receiving God's word and having it filter into your life. Would that change your life? I think that would change your life significantly. I think we'd start experiencing those stats. Some of you are already experiencing those stats. You're so excited about what you hear in God's Word, you can't help telling people about it. And that's good. So I just want you to, to close your eyes, and, and just on, on a practical level, I want you to do two things. Say, God, what do I need to stop doing so I can devote myself to the Apostles' Doctrine? What do I need to stop doing? In other words, what do I need to give up to make time and space in my life for this? Okay? And then, Lord, what commitment... How do you want me practically to devote myself to the Apostles' Doctrine? How many chapters do I need to read a day, etc.? Whatever it is. But how do I need to practically commit myself? Just those two things. Just want to pray, and then I want you to, in your heart, just make that commitment. Those two commitments. What are you going to give up? And how practically are you going to commit yourself to God's Word? Lord, we want to fast from the things of the world so we can develop a hunger for you and for your Word. And Lord, you saw in each person's heart and you spoke to each person's heart, Lord, and you know what we've committed ourselves to give up and you know what we've committed ourselves to to devote ourselves to. And we want to ask you for the grace to do that. We realize that the early church devoted themselves to these things, to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And they could do it because they had received the Holy Spirit who had been poured out on the day of Pentecost. And Lord, Holy Spirit, we just want to invite you to just come and fill us again with your presence, with your power, and with your grace so that we can devote ourselves likewise to the same things. And we pray, Lord, that this year we will develop a habit of learning, learning together, learning the Apostles' Doctrine, learning from your Word, Please, Holy Spirit, help us in this and help us to help one another in this. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you homework. The homework is those two things that you committed yourself, the thing that you committed yourself to give up and the thing that you committed yourself into in terms of God's word and, and how regularly and how much you're going to read. I want you to WhatsApp it to someone and ask them to keep you accountable. Be someone in your small group Someone in your family, close friend, but someone that you trust. And ask them if they would be willing to commit with you to that. Okay, you're going to do that today? (laughs) Okay. Just pray God's blessing on you. Lord God, I just thank you, Lord, for these, your saints. Thank you that you love us and that you want to change our lives. Thank you that you want us to grow and become more like Jesus every day. And I just pray your grace, your blessing, your favor constant awareness of your presence and your love upon each and every one of us in jesus name and may this be a year in which our lives change to the glory of your name our lives change not because of our resolve or our willpower but because of your grace because we just surrender ourselves to you and to your word in jesus name amen